0: Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Welcome back and thanks for tuning in. This is episode 212 of the Intentional Growth Podcast. My guest today is Liam Martin. He is a co-founder of Time Doctor and a remote work advocate. In other words, he is literally the perfect guest to talk about the new work from home experience from a perspective of data and real world experience because of his reach with his current clients and his user base. Before starting Time Doctor almost nine years ago, Liam worked as an online tutor And he was a sociology major, which puts a whole different lens to how he's approaching the data and the things that he's doing and looking at human behavior and remote working. And when he was the online tutor, he realized the benefits of remote working, including getting three to four additional hours back each day, which I think we're all experiencing to some degree or another. This experience helped inspire Time Doctor, which helps individuals and companies productively and efficiently utilize remote work and supports companies in a variety of different ways like payroll, time tracking and performance reports. Because of his hundreds of thousands of users, he can slice and dice data about how effectively a business development sales rep is utilizing their time versus a software engineer, how they utilize their time and become most effective. It's amazing as he dives into the data and explains to us how to tap into the human potential. Today, Liam is gonna be taking his almost decade experience running time doctor and the data that he has with the sociology lens and his experience to help us fully understand the impact of remote working One on business valuations, which he's an amazing, he has some amazing insights on how one of his friends is rolling up companies and adding a layer of remote work to drive efficiencies and more value in that business. He's going to then talk about how companies and cultures can effectively manage remote working because I think we're all Zoom fatigued, which we've heard plenty of times now, but how can we truly? find that new norm. Even when there is a vaccine, what is that going to look like? How do we effectively utilize our employees, utilize our culture and still keep it together? And then how is remote working going to have an impact on commercial real estate values and what the new office space will look like post a vaccine? We cover a lot of ground and it was super exciting for me because I've heard tons of people publications and all, you name it, talking about remote work, but truly diving into the data has been a a challenge. So Liam's here with his software platform, be able to explain by polling his customers and being able to look at the data, what people are truly doing. He throws out the number that 22% of his clients already have canceled their leases. That doesn't mean that they're leaving and not paying their office rent right now. That means that they have plans to have a new norm, even when there's a vaccine. And the ripple effect that this new norm is going to have is going to touch all corners of business, commercial real estate, business valuations, and the economy. Liam gives some great, positive, and interesting insights into what remote working in a non-pandemic world is and how companies giving employees more flexibility and control over their time can lead to more productivity and more efficient work while also eliminating the large cost of commercial office space with the caveat of accountability. We can't just let everybody and your employees just go do what they wanna do. We have to have a culture of results-based and technology like a time doctor to be able to hold people accountable and be able to track and measure those results. And this is one of the most practical interviews I've done about what is the impact of remote working on the economy, valuations, culture, and then how do you act on the new world that we are now all entering? If you want to know how intentional you are being with your growth, go on to our website, arcona.io, and take the intentional growth assessment. It's 20 questions, multiple choice, and it'll give you a score based on how intentional you're being if you're growing value with the end in mind. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Liam. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving
1: you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that
0: combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies.
1: Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes.
0: Liam, how you doing?
1: Pretty good. How are you doing?
0: I'm looking forward to this as you and I were just uh, riffing back and forth that uh, I I'd saw your email from someone that had one of your uh, podcast guests reach out. Heard a time doctor. I was intrigued. So that was an easy spark. And then all of a sudden, um, as we were chatting, I think this is going to be a fun show because remote working is slightly important. And then uh, not, that, not only that, but you were tying that to... How companies are valued, how remote working is happening and managing people. I mean, just we could probably have multiple sessions on this, but we won't. But so I think let's start it off. Like, let's give it like, a little bit of background if they haven't heard of you and what your what your background is. Like how did you how did you get into the space and what are you doing?
1: Yep. Uh, Leah Martin, human being, more specifically in Canada right now. And I've been in my secret COVID bunker for I think the last five months, started in February just had a baby girl about 14 days ago, which was very exciting. And- Now
0: you, now you want to get out of your bunker.
1: <laughs> now I want to get out of the bunker, actually. I was So that that is actually, by the way, giving birth during COVID, particularly in Canada, where you only have one option, which is the public option, because there's no privatized medicine, um, particularly for someone who has the resources to be able to purchase private medicine, if they wish, is an interesting challenge. Probably another podcast, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> yeah. But I literally was running like- Like, (laughs) yeah, this is super weird, but I was running like algorithmic projections of like, what are the impacts of us getting into trouble with option A, B, and C, that kind of a thing. (laughs) Um, Everyone's healthy and happy, but we've been working remotely for 15 years, been running Time Doctor for about 10 years, ended up building that business with my co-founder, Rob, specifically because I had run an online tutoring company before that, um, literally just running kids on Skype with people who had graduate degrees and inside of that business, I had a big problem, which was adequately measuring exactly how long a student worked with a tutor down hmm. to the second, right. To, Here to was that. Quantify that. that that was 2009, 10. Okay. So right. Escape is
0: like, you know, it's starting to come out and actually be like, that was
1: old school. Yeah. I mean, yeah. remote work really wasn't a thing. Like no one nah, was doing it at was. that point. But so I was because I realized that it was a lot easier for me to actually just stay on Skype than it was to actually drive to each student, right? So I was effectively basically able to get another three to four hours of work in per day just from, from doing that. And so needed to measure exactly how long a tutor worked with a student. And that's when I teamed up with Rob to be able to set up Time Doctor, which is a tracking tool specifically for remote workers. We've been doing that for since 2012. So eight-ish plus years. And about three years ago, we ended up also starting a conference called Running Remote, which pre-COVID was the largest conference on remote work. Probably still is today because no one can do conferences. <laughs> yeah, um, your competition
0: has right dwindled.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens post-COVID because, um, as everyone probably knows, remote work has exploded. So Pre-COVID, 2018, 5.5% of the U.S. workforce was working remotely. Best estimate, and this was a data point that was collected about a month ago, it was 58% in the Holy United States. Shit. So we're talking about, and the other thing that's quite interesting, if you make more than $100,000, you're four times more likely to be remote than if you don't make $100,000 a year. So it is targeting high-level worker in the United States. They are entirely going remote. And I also just think we're seeing the digitization of our economy, right? So even you, like, looking at the S&P 500, it's not the S&P 500 anymore. It's the S&P 6.
0: Yeah, I was going to say 5 or 6, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's the S&P 5, right? It's those top tech companies that are dragging the entire market up. And to be completely honest with you, everything else is trash, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that you're looking at right now. Yeah, so we're at a very interesting point. Uh, We just, and we were talking about this before, we surveyed, our recently remote clients at Time Doctor and on Running Remote, and we asked them, how many of you are planning on getting rid of your corporate leases? Oh, your office leases, 22% have stated they are getting rid of their corporate leases, office leases, so far, and 50% are thinking about it. So think about that in the economy, just that in the economy. I believe believe corporate leases are about 6% of the U.S. economy right now like as a line item on where money is moved, man, I would probably say at least 2% of that is going. And I would probably say three-ish to four-ish percent will be going within so the next year and a half.
0: It's super interesting that you put like, and you actually quantified those data points for me because I'm in to run of those. Because like I, and it, before before I go off on a tangent is how many users and I don't know how what what, any kind of metrics of time doctor to kind of understand
1: like Uh, we have hundreds of thousands of users um we have governments that use us we have large corporate that use us that obviously changed post-covid so we've also seen explosive growth post-covid like Mm -hmm. every other remote work tool Mm -hmm. in the space right (laughs) zoom is worth more than the entire airline industry just to put (laughs) it into context (laughs) zoom right has is a more valuable company than american airlines united and the oh, uh, third one <laughs> combined right so think about that that's like we are people think i just don't know why people aren't screaming off the top of the rooftop saying like this is a complete restructuring of our economy we've in essence accelerated the the, the digitization of the economy by about five years
0: Mm-hmm. I, I don't I doubt that. What yeah, I mean, what was it? Zoom was having 10 million daily users, and they blew up to 200 million daily users. Yeah, I mean,
1: we, we was, had our Asian node go down for 45 minutes because a government decided to deploy without telling us. So they literally just deployed on our system, and no one. You know, you usually have a salesperson that would go through that process, but because they were just saying, well, we need this solution and it looks like the credit card works. They processed it and and we went down for 45 minutes. Now for, and the first month and a half, it was all about stability. So we actually just kind of made a decision to say, anyone who's a paying customer, we're now putting them into our top tier server and then everyone else that's trialing. If you get data, like if you can use the trial, you can. But at one point, you know, it was taking like, Three four minutes to process a report, which was, um, and I know that Zoom was going through exactly the same problem. Now well, it's calmed I, down, but it's still it was nuts.
0: Well, I think it's like, well, I mean, honestly, because there's so many different ways we could go with this. It, maybe I'll just kind of set the stage, and we can we can pick and choose as we go back and forth. But like, sure. go back to corporate real estate, or I, I'm sorry, commercial real estate, and then actually the 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 working environment, because I think then you and I were talking before we hit record of how that impacts operational costs and then values of company and then but i so i think also you've got some insights with your users in your in your industry of like how to manage and hire and you know like actually manage and keep culture in the remote Mm -hmm. working but i also
1: well so you know what remote work when you look at it um your office costs is the second largest line item for any company
0: besides payroll right i mean it's just
1: yeah it's payroll and then it's your office So in essence, what's happened, and it's about 30% of your P&L on average for let's say a tech company, Mm -hmm. as an example. That that cost for remote-first companies, because before this whole COVID thing happened, we were the internet nerds that were running, you know, Time Doctor and running remote, and we really loved remote teams. So there's a terminology called remote-first companies, which is us. So we operate in 37 different countries all over the world. We don't have an office. There were companies, and there are companies like ours, that were growing at a much faster clip. And I can give you a couple examples. GitLab is a big one. Envision is another really big one. I think they were the fastest unicorn in tech history, a zero to a billion dollar valuation in three and a half years. And they're all remote. And specifically, they were remote because they recognized that they wouldn't have that 30% drag on them, right? So what if you could take 30 cents on every dollar and reinvest back into I mean, you know, like, well, and also like, like, it's so funny. Cause I, I,
0: I think it might have something to do with your and nice I's generation, but like, I remember when I graduated college and I was going to work and I was like, this is crazy. So like, I'm in Minnesota and I'm like, so 3 million people get up at the same time and just go jam onto the roads at the same time. I go, what if 3 million people just didn't do that and did something else a couple hours a day, you'd have, Three million hours of productivity to just do other things with, <laughs> like it just never made any sense to me. And I think it was just because, like you know, we were in the generation where Skype was shitty, but it still kind of worked. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. it was, it wasn't completely abstract, and it just so that that, that idea of like this is a possibility was always kind of there. But it's just like from a pure productivity. So you talk about the thirty percent drag, but just the productivity is just potential productivity.
1: When you, when you look at that because there have been some studies done on remote work. Most of it was pre-COVID. A lot is being done right now, but none of it is actually out, out yet. And there are more distractions at home than there are in the office. That's, a, that's an interesting thing that people don't really recognize. There are more distractions at home. There's your kids, there's your dog, there's PlayStation, there's CNN, there's all of these things that pop up. However, if you simply apply an extra two hours of sleep to everyone's work day. Right. So if you just take those two extra hours that you would have commuted and you turn them into sleep, you're going to have a more productive employee that that employee is going to be able to get a lot more done during the day. It also disconnects you from the nine to five mindset that when you look at this historically, and this is the thing that, you know, whenever I look at businesses, I always kind of use, um, put my critical thinking cap on and I say, what assumptions am I making for my conclusions? Mm -hmm. So what assumptions am I making for my conclusions? One of the biggest assumptions that we've had the last 200 years, that this nine to five thing is the ideal way to work when it's not, because we have the largest second by second work database on the planet. And we've discovered that people work very, very differently. A developer, as an example, generally is got almost exactly the same footprint as a creative writer. So they might actually get into a flow state and they might work for, 18 hours, and then they might not work for two days. Mm-hmm. But that's a more productive person. That person has n- more net new lines of code that work than someone that's doing the average nine to five in which they're just not inspired because they're not in that flow, mm-hmm. right? So this is the thing that we try to break down, at least when we, you know, work with clients is to say, forget about all of these assumptions that you have with regards to work, because they don't apply to the current model and When you're thinking about digital workers, fundamentally, that digital worker, you want them to optimize for themselves, not for the organization that they fit inside of. And at least a time doctor and running remote, that's what we do is we basically say, we don't care when you work. All we care is that you work. And then we try to look at what your inputs versus outputs are. I literally look at like dollars per hour. So what's the productivity dollar per hour?
0: Because I think there's a couple of things going back to your assumptions, Liam, that we have, or some of the facts that we have to like almost rebuild and reconstruct because there's dollars per hour, but then there's also outputs, right? So if it's KPIs, so if you have someone that's not billing, you know, you still need to track their time to say, okay, what is their output, their KPIs? So it's about like if you gave assume or a new situation, one is that people work differently, like duh, right? Like mm-hmm. developers versus, and here's a perfect example of that. Literally on Friday, my, so my kids had, uh, got ham for mouth disease, went through the the uh, the daycare and I'm like, really? So not only, it wasn't COVID. It was just literally just from random other normal thing that everybody gets. And, mm-hmm. you know, her and I are both like trying to point to each other. Like you got, you got to deal with it. Cause I got to work or I don't want to deal with it. And right. So she is in marketing communications and for a large corporate sustainability company. and she has to creatively write and creatively do things. I have some creative activities, some things like we're doing right now, some things mm-hmm. that are email. and like she's like, you can choose to do your emails while managing the kids because it's like little huh. bursts, right? I have to like have five hour chunks to get into the flow. Right? right So completely different. So going back to your point, you have okay, new situation one is that's now a, that's truly a fact what you're talking about is you can now measure monitor that it's not just hypothetical. So for all the naysayers out there, they say, well, yeah, of course. But in your whole situation, sure. your situation is you can manage the KPIs at the time of what yeah.
1: we So one of the things that we really try to encourage, at least our clients to do is don't measure yourself against your organization, measure yourself against your profession. So we have such a large database that like, let's say you were a um, Angular 8 developer. Well, we could connect you. We, we could say out of the 800, 432 Angular developers that are currently on our system, here's what their average day w- looks like. And here's what your day looks like. <laughs> and these are the interesting things that you're that we're seeing that maybe is not necessarily productive or unproductive but those are insights that you can gain into your work to be able to become more productive or, or less productive, to be mm-hmm. completely honest with you. Once you actually apply a direction to it. So that's what we do with like CRMs as an example. Yeah. So we could have um, your HubSpot and your Salesforce integrated and we could say, OK, well, it looks like the most successful sales reps across not just your company, but the entire industry. Of all sales reps across the system seem to have these things in common. These are really good green flag indicators of a successful salesperson. One of them, ironically, is um, spending less time on the computer and more time on the phone. Really? That's a very clear. The, yeah. the more time you can spend on your phone and the less time you spend on your CRM, the more money you make, which is <laughs> which is really interesting uh, when you when you analyze it. But then you could say, okay, well, it looks like you're spending three hours more on average on your CRM. Then the most successful salesperson. Maybe you assistant. can change that, right? You yeah. could get an assistant. Figure out what's the solution to that particular problem that you that you might theoretically have. That's a very different mindset from what has historically been done, which is let's put everyone in at a nine to five because that's what we believe is the most productive time to work. Uh, you know, when you go to other countries. The nine to five is not the most productive way to work. Go to Italy. (laughs) It's a very different game in terms of the way that they work. Go to Japan, as an example. GDP per capita in Japan is about a third of what it is in the United States, but yet they work twice the amount of hours on average, which is nuts because Mm. they have a philosophy of being in the office. The person that's in the office the longest is perceived to be the best employee, when in reality, actually, when we look at the data we see that the exact opposite is true the mm-hmm. person that's the most efficient inside of the office is actually the person that's the most successful so analyzing all that data is it, to me is my my background is in sociology so this, so this is to just kid, work. yeah this is just sort of like i can run any data set i possibly want on anyone on you know on any job category on planet earth <laughs> and then really kind of see what makes them productive and what doesn't make them productive
0: so like, and I think about how that ties into what we were talking about before we hit record is like, so God, I mean, this is employee, first of all, employee satisfaction and like, mm-hmm. you know, job satisfaction that, that that you're, you're kind of solving for those because people are different. They learn different. They've, you know, accomplished things different, different roles. But then also if you think going back to the company, you're like, in, in, I think there's two points to this that we want, I want to go down. One is value. And like you talked about some people you know that are literally applying a remote working strategy to buying companies. So it's proven that this is truly a way to harvest value. But I think before we get there, Liam, I, like, I think there's a lot of challenge for people that haven't gone down this route of going, holy shit, we don't have the ways to facilitate the dialogue anymore and to facilitate the culture and like in, in the company, right? Like what is this organism that used to be our business now that we're all dispersed? How do mm. we have the random pollinating, you know, of quote unquote of ideas or the beanbags or the foosball or all that stuff that is, you know, the, the culture that people haven't been able to measure. I think, you know, you, you, re- you read on every single publication, Zoom fatigue, you know, where do you leave space to chat? With each other you no know? and then like i absolutely one, one last note on that is i read the uh, article in the economist and that they, they were talking about how like you know so like uh, you and i are interacting in, on zoom right now is that so the average human human contact in person is like 200 milliseconds but as we you and i would interrupt each other and it would be normal and it would be mm-hmm. fluid but with zoom because of the leg between my mm. wire and your wire, it ends up being like the shortest is 700 to 800 milliseconds. Interesting. So you have this like literally 700, 800 minimum. Mil, like, so that that's where the fatigue comes from. You're kind of dancing around each other. So you have this, right. these dynamics that say, okay, how do we build this team and this culture to facilitate the productivity and the happiness and a valuable business? Does that make sense?
1: Yep. Makes perfect sense. So, um, the reality is is number one work from home is not remote work. So, I really love that the media is using this terminology work from home because to me, the definition of work from home is I'm scared. I'm in my house. There's a there's something outside that may or may not kill me or my grandfather or something like that and I can't do the things that I would usually do. I'm stuck inside the house. I can't bring my kids to a babysitter. I can't bring them to, you know, any of these things that would really help facilitate remote work, which is I can go to a co-working space. I can have my own office. I can go to a coffee shop. You know, I can have babysitters in to be able to take care of my kids. That's the reality of what I think we're going to be seeing post-COVID. Yep. Is my assessment is we're probably going to see about 50% of the US workforce be remote post-COVID, meaning post-vaccine. And I think it's only going to accelerate past that point. Mm-hmm. The other part of this, which is really important, particularly for this podcast, is. The digitization of the economy will mean the positions that currently cannot really be built remote, which are fundamentally um, waiting staff, housekeepers, cooks, construction laborers, you know, maintenance workers, assembly fabricators, personal care aides, teaching assistants, that kind of stuff. Those jobs are probably going to some of them will stick around, but like the biggest job category in the United States is the retail sector. Right that will no longer exist. Um, Like people don't really understand how much that's not going to exist. It's going to, Amazon is going to basically take over and even Walmart now with their their digital footprint, you're going to have more stuff delivered to you than you go out to get. And once that flip happens, and this has just been an accelerator of that flip, you're going to see a massive shift and you're going to see that 14% of the workforce, which is the people that work in retail get cut in half
0: well and it's interesting when you talk about restructuring so the not only on the financial part of our economy is getting restructured but how the 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 day-to-day of everybody and you what's what's interesting about a uh, data point for you is so uh steve schwartzman who is the ceo of blackstone uh private equity firm mm-hmm. they bought up over a billion square feet of warehouse Space getting ready for this, because they know that distribution centers are going to be more important with e-commerce,
1: absolutely. I mean, like they just so, like they just know it. <laughs> you're going to move. you work at Walmart right now. You're going to be a stalker slash grabber in an Amazon fulfillment house. That's where that job is going to move. Yep. if you're lucky, to be completely honest with you, because Amazon has their shit on lock, and they are much more efficient Robots. than any Walmart that you can possibly think of. Because they process all of that information for efficiency, right? So um, because they're using, they're using data efficiency inside of their organization in order to, be up, to figure out what's the, you know, what's the ideal return. So that's one big thing. Now, with regards to the culture issue, there are definitely culture. There's, you can't have as intimate a culture in a remote company than you can as a brick-and-mortar company. So I have this thing, which is like my hierarchy of communication. Um, in-person beats video, video beats audio, audio beats instant messaging, and instant messaging beats email. As you move up the chain, you become more synchronous, meaning the feedback loop between two people's communication is is very, very fast, as you were talking about with regards mm-hmm. to Zoom. As you move down the line, you become more asynchronous, which means I can stay in flow state because I don't necessarily need to respond immediately to that particular message. So I could get an email, I can stock up all of those messages, and then when I'm ready to process that email, I can then say, okay, now my task is going to be processing email. Inside of remote or inside of brick and mortar companies, as opposed to remote companies, communication happens on accident or -hmm. it can happen on accident. Inside of remote teams, all communication must must happen on purpose. So there must be a very specific time in which we all jump on a Zoom call and do the call as opposed to, John just coming over and saying, hey, Ryan, I've got this crazy idea. Would you mind bringing Jim and Suzanne in and we can talk about this for 10 minutes? That really doesn't exist inside of remote companies. And there are tools that are coming down the line to try to kind of solve that fundamentally, but there's nothing there as of yet. So you have to make culture on purpose, right? You have to make communication on purpose. Um, we do things like I have I don't have it in front of me, but I have an Oculus Quest and we got a whole bunch for everyone inside of the company. And we do like virtual, you know, um, presentations. We do monthly AMAs on Zoom so people can ask questions and we can respond to them. Um, We do weekly video game afternoons or nights. So it's paid time where you play any type of video game as long as there's an audio channel open. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do things like uh, an app that we had built called Coworker Coffee, and it allows you to randomly be connected with someone on Slack with a Zoom link for a 15-minute chat Mm -hmm. just to kind of chat with someone else about, you know, how their lives are. When you look at the lag that you have on the communication side versus the advantages that you have on the well, the efficiency side, number one, right? Just the unit economics of the employer saying, hey, I'm saving 30%. But more importantly, the EMPS, the Employment Net Promoter Score. Oh, my gosh. The consistently, remote work has is the single biggest thing that millennials ask for to be able to improve their personal well-being in work. Uh, there was a recent survey out of the Buffer State of Remote Work report that stated uh, that you would have to pay a remote worker $20,000 more to get them back inside of an office, <laughs> which is a pretty crazy ne- metric when you think about it because they gain so much more free time. So, you know, we're seeing Twitter, we're seeing Shopify, we're seeing Facebook, we're seeing um, Google all go remote to various degrees. I think we're going to see a huge Amount of these tech workers that are never going to go back to an office. Well, one like, of my other theories that I had, it out,
0: Liam. like it's just like, and honestly, which, just me because I am, I like you know a productivity junkie, and like same thing with human behavior in my my mind because I'm an ADD guy, and so like I've tried to build my parameters to avoid that to facilitate my state of flow, and like, so, but like prior to COVID, I was still traveling all over the place. And so like I have, I've had my same workout routine for 15 years. Then right. I had kids and I'm like, oh, uh, what do I do with this new variable? <laughs> like, right. And then my, I remember my wife, I was like walking out the gym bag one morning because I was 4.45 in the morning routine for 15 years. And she looked at me and she goes, yeah, right. Sit back down. <laughs> and I was just like, you're probably right. And so then I'm right. like, what do I do with my routine? But like to jam this and it was like less sleep, more travel, get to the gym, travel all over the place. But now it's like getting things done. Like I can do that in the middle of the day from my basement because I bought this, I canceled my gym. I mean, literally restructured everything that was hard, but the routine gets restructured, but you're more intentional to say, okay, yep. here's when I'm going to do these things. And like you just, the happiness goes through the roof. And instead of trying to do things that don't work. And like, I think about, I mean, the nine to five crap, Henry Ford just exacerbated it with the assembly line. I mean, uh-huh. and then the labor unions, I mean, they, they got rid of the weekends, thank God. I mean, but like, you know, the nine to five has been around forever and it was never like, I mean, that just shows you the power of habit where like you had an entire com- country doing the same things without recognizing that there's other ways to do things.
1: <laughs> so internally for us, we say you owe us 26 hours a week. We don't care how you deploy them. Oh, interesting. That's, that's our business model. So we say you work for us full time. You owe us 26 hours per week. However, you wanted to pull them, even if you take an entire week off and then you just make that up later, let's just let you explore the space in terms of how you connect to work. And then we start to see interesting trends appear. Like, as an example, developers that seem to just get into a flow state and never take them off. Like, it's really detrimental (laughs) to them to get them out of that flow state. And even with someone like me, I'm almost like at this point, I may. I'm a manager of managers. Yep. So fundamentally, my what I look at all day long is I see these numbers that are really important to me and to the business. And then I have managers who assemble that number for me. And my job is to basically every single week say, are you green, yellow, or red? Right? If you're green, we don't need to talk. If you're yellow or red, how can we make course corrections to be able to get you to that particular target? And when you see that occur on a remote model, it's, you know, the other thing that kind of blows me away is that those metrics are actually very rarely inside of brick and mortar companies on premise companies where, you know, because communication is so important to us, we have a quantitative number that every single employee inside of the company is responsible for and they have to report it weekly. And if they don't report it, then that's a big, big problem Mm -hmm. um, for us. And so I don't see that inside of remote companies, or sorry, in on-premise companies, at least to the degree to which I've seen it inside of remote-first companies. So I think that that's another trend that's going to start to happen. After COVID is over, yes. I think we're actually going to have much better built companies that come, and, and taking into consideration, there's also going to be... <laughs> A lot of <laughs> uh, I think we're any I think we're going to end up A lot of with pain. Yeah, I think, I, the, I think it, we're probably at this point, we're in, I mean, we're we're recording this July 22nd, I think we have the largest dead cat bounce in the history of the stock market. Uh, off, I, it, I, mean, it, the, I sold all of my positions. Yeah, but honestly, um, so it like, seemed, like,
0: it, honestly, it is. Well, just the, it, the Fed's just buying bad debt. And it's just like, somehow this, like, yeah, yeah. you could, I could get, I, I'm an absolute Ray Dalio junkie. Literally love every single one of his, not, I don't know if right. you know him at all, like his yes. managing bid deck. Bid. And he's
1: talking about every 70 years we're going to have. Oh an And it's just like, and you there. like
0: everything he comes on. he's like, yep, 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 yep. Here's what, I, but going back to your point, it's like, what's interesting is if you were to layer on like those numbers, quantifying this, getting, I mean, people, you're gamifying being, being uh, an employee, Facilitating the flow, which makes uh-huh. people happy. If you were to layer that on, I don't know how much you're familiar with open book management, but I had the the father, Jack Stack, on the great game of business. I'll send you the podcast. Okay. So he, open book management, they ended up turning their company into an ESOP. They saved $100 million in the last decade preparing for this downfall because they're employee owned. And what he did back right. in the 80s with open book management, Liam, he put someone's face to neck ever, next to every line in the income statement. Cause like, he's like, everybody's responsible for one of the lines. So he, Uh and like the value, they're all driving towards long-term value together. Mm -hmm. So if you were to take your system layer it with his, you'd be having all the employees facilitating employee happiness, their flow, financial value. And like, I mean, shit, I couldn't imagine how amazing that could be. But like when, as we shift this conversation Talk about value and like maybe talk. I don't know how much you can explain that. What your friend's doing or like how? Just if you had two companies, like let's say it was ten million in revenue, a million in EBITDA, name an industry, and you say, okay, they're both worth four million, four X, right? But one is brick and mortar, one is not. Same industry, same everything. How different it could be with you.
1: Okay, well, that's a very interesting. Uh, that's an interesting kind of question to ask, because there's a pre and post-COVID assessment of that. When we were about two to three years old, we were doing um, maybe three or four million ARR, no EBITDA, because we're SaaS. So we were investing every single thing that we had back in. Like, that's just the way that SaaS works is you really want to look at lifetime value as opposed to what you're currently making that particular year. So we were a bootstrap company. And we looked for venture and uh we got a lot of term sheets from people saying, Hey, you know what? Numbers look great. We want to give you five, ten, fifteen million dollars as a series A. Uh, I know that five million sounds weird that time ago for series A, but that's what they were. I mean, the series A's are much bigger now. And because, they were because it's just the, the industry has this is ridiculous. Um, yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> well, right. I mean, the, the, we could talk about SaaS in general, but like let's, 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 yeah, let's <laughs> stay off of it. So um, they all said the same singular thing: We'd love to give you money. You just have to move to San Francisco, Boston, Toronto, right, um, New York. And my business partner is in Sydney, Australia. I'm located in Montreal, Canada. So we're on opposite sides of the planet. We operate this business. <laughs> Everyone is remote, <laughs> and we fundamentally sell a tool to empower remote work. So the uh, the employer, uh, you know, th- these venture capitalists, we're kind of telling them like, guys, I just don't think that this is the right move for us because you know we're, we're trying to do the that remote necessary. work thing. We're eating our own dog food. And the answer was the same. Trust us. We know what we're doing. We're venture capitalists. Mm. Let's make this work, right? Now, the last six months has seen the biggest transformation in the VC world I have ever seen. I'm an LP in Andreas Klinger's fund, uh, which is remote first capital, which was actually born out of, The um, uh, running road, we basically built a fund or Andreas built a fund specifically for remote first companies. And he's now a follow on to all of the biggest VCs because they're recognizing they have no operators inside of remote work. And yet everyone needs to go remote work because they realize two things. Number one, everyone has to at this point. And number two, holy crap, it makes more money. (laughs) <laughs> it's not oh, a lot yeah, more no, money, Right? Like you don't have to take a series A. So, we were there. There was a, um, Patrick Campbell from Profitwell did a really interesting analysis of remote first companies. He initially thought that remote first companies were less profitable, they grew slower than on premise companies but then i argued with him that he hadn't controlled for venture capital because there's an interesting phenomenon where most remote first companies couldn't get venture capital just because of the way that they're structured when you control for that they actually grow faster and the reason being is you don't have as i said that anchor hanging off of you of man i've got to have not only this really expensive office that's 30% in san is- francisco <laughs> right but more importantly I can't take advantage of labor opportunities that are outside of my local jurisdiction. I'll give you an example. We hired a developer who was the top five finisher for the Facebook global hackathon. So they run a global hackathon every single year. He got fifth place. He got an offer from Facebook for half a million bucks. He got an offer from Google for 350,000. He worked with us for 60,000. And he stayed in Bangladesh because he wanted to stay with his family in Bangladesh. He didn't want to go to the United States. This is something that now all of those tech companies in San Francisco are free to do it. So the actual strategic advantage that I've been taking advantage of, and we can get into my friend Andy who just buys up companies and makes them remote and just that's his entire business model. We've all been taking advantage of this particular model because we've recognized once you get over the the hump of actually managing remote effectively, it's like printing money. I would say the advantage is probably still going to be here for like six to 18 months. But once you really get the Facebooks of the world that are going to be hiring en masse, they're going to suck out all the best talent and they're going to keep them in their local jurisdictions, which means San Francisco is going to look very, very different. Uh, 53% of all people that work in tech are first generation immigrants that were basically brought to San Francisco by those tech companies. Interesting. Something that people don't really kind yeah, of yeah, recognize yeah. is San Francisco is not an American city. San Francisco is the very definition of melting pot and immigrant city. It's just the absolute, think of the top 1% of the planet in terms of development, getting pulled into that one, actually the 0.1% getting pulled into that one city that I Think in the history books will be defined as the golden age of tech <clears throat> because there, was, there have, will never like, be a bigger concentration of talent in one place.
0: Well, and like that—that that makes honestly—that's go down a whole different rabbit hole. But like the, that makes the bigger tech companies even more dangerous for sucking talent out across all countries. I mean, like because like they're now it's cheaper, more effective, and they exactly. I mean, like, it's it's a challenge. And I, the
1: I, age of the four hundred thousand dollar developer, I think, is over. The new age of the $35,000 developer in Kiev now making 100 grand is the new normal, mm-hmm. and that's going to be really good for Kiev. It's going to be really good for you know countries that have historically had really good talent, fantastic education systems, but yet just because they're not in that location, they haven't been able to take advantage of it. Um, but it is going to be probably I would say a net loss for the United States and,
0: because, because it goes back to our Dalio comment of like our lack of education has been dragging us down. We're less competitive. I mean, all those things. I mean,
1: there are there are more PhDs graduating in India than there are undergraduates graduating in the United States, and these are not like these these schools are not Whoa, bad. I've not right? heard like, that before. Yeah, that's a you know that's a wave that people don't really recognize is is going to hit everybody, and there's going to be. So I don't like to use the terminology outsourcing because at its core, I believe it's actually quite racist. If you have someone that's working from a computer in Mumbai on their own, you call it outsourcing. If that same person is an American in a coffee shop in Manhattan, it's called remote work. So or entrepreneurship,
0: or whatever you want to
1: call it. Or, or entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, right? Let's say you're just working for a company, right? So like to me, there's going to be a massive second wave of remote work that's going to take over the entire market. I think within the next 6 to 12 months, the people that have currently been freed from working inside of an office in the tech hubs are actually going to get out of those tech hubs, and they're going to move to middle America. Because you can buy a six-bedroom house in the Midwest for the cost of a one bedroom apartment. Oh, dude, like,
0: like, so I was sitting there in i I'm in a young entrepreneurs group, a uh, young entrepreneurs council, YAC. And I'm sitting there and I was at the one their there is snow, uh, snow and ski boating trip and s- snowboarding and ski trip. And I was like, it was like 50% of the people from California. Then you got Austin, Texas. Then you got Seattle and you got New York. And then they're like, where are you from? Like Minnesota. <laughs> and they're like, right. like, and then I'm like, yeah. they're like, I'm like, so tell me how much did your 800 square foot apartment cost? She's like, oh my God, it's 700 grand in my taxes. I'm like, dude, I have three acres. I have a $2,500 mortgage and I've got a 4,000 square foot Rambler. And I'm literally eight minutes from a Super Target and I'm 20 minutes from Minneapolis. Like, right? I could buy a freaking like like full time chauffeur and be better off. And But like, we we'll go back to your point. Like, my wife, she just went back into the workforce and she was like, okay, like, she literally put a plot. And in Google Maps and said, I'm not driving more than a half hour. Like, why the hell that was part of the decision-making process is just insane.
1: (laughs) Yep. So Redfin has been doing some really interesting analysis. Uh, They found that the east side of Manhattan, specifically, and San Francisco proper, the city, have been the largest, those IPs have been searching for houses in the Midwest at an alarmingly high rate. Right. So you're seeing all these early indicators of these people moving. So that's kind of stage one. That's during COVID. Post COVID, post vaccine, I think you're going to see digital nomadism explode. Hmm. Um, and for those that don't know, digital nomadism is basically people that can work from their computers that generally have good passports, you know, US passports, Canadian passports, they can travel the world and they'll work from their laptops. Why would I want to work? in San Francisco or even the Midwest when I can work in Bali or I can work in Chiang Mai and I can have a full-time cook and a six-bedroom villa with an amazing pool. This is going to be the next kind of state that's going to happen after that post-COVID. And I would say that's going to last for about two years. And then you're going to see the tech corporate world really adopt the understanding that just because they're not located in a particular place doesn't mean that they are less than in terms of talent and they're going to start experimenting en masse. And that's when my advantage will disappear um, as an employer. So that's kind of the way that I see the entire space. Shifting. Shaking up. Well, take- up. Um, I would say if you're a top tier developer, you're going to be fine. If you are a mid-tier developer, you're in trouble. Well, and, and, and so
0: taking that to your friend, Andy, or like the space that I've been living in for six years, Liam, is that, you know, growing, selling, whether it's like, it's harvesting the value, thinking about value long-term, which is like, okay, efficiencies, what's our EBITDA, what's this worth long-term. And you think about like the mid middle market of private equity firms that come in here and they just stay as is, and it's old school buying old school and they can't get the returns because they overpaid or they over leverage all these different things. When you think about like shifting your mindset like this, you say, Hey, we can buy a company and they don't like look at all these costs. First of all, happier employees. If by the way, a little caveat, if the business model can facilitate this, right. If you're a manufacturer, mm-hmm. I understand, sure. you know, but that, you, know, you could always have corporate, but like that's different than the manufacturing plant. But like, think about, I mean, talent, I mean, up until February, when I would do my keynotes, number one problem, talent can't find talent, can't Mm -hmm. find talent, can't find talent. But like, not only that, but like, how do you grow value? How do you do all these things? Like the whole landscape of growing value long-term is way different because of talent acquisition, Mm -hmm. because your cost structure. I mean, maybe maybe that ties into like what your friend Andy's doing. I don't know if you want to kind of explain how.
1: You know, yeah, I can explain that. It hasn't been a problem for us because we just, we understood and maybe I'm a little biased here, but we already have a brand that is recognized in the remote workspace. Mm -hmm. So when we put up a posting, I mean, we don't even start filtering till we're at three five hundred CVs. Oh my gosh! Right. So like, and we'll get those in a day and a half. Mm-hmm. It's just the talent is is definitely there, but you have to find it, right? So one of my biggest rules for remote work is hire people that actually want to work remotely, <laughs> um, and that means hiring in places that are like for remote work. Uh, Remotive is another one that's really good. Um, Just as a general job board, remote, okay, we work remotely. Uh, flex Jobs is another one. If you want to pay a lot more, top TopTal. Um, if you want to get a small project done, Upwork is another one. That's really good too. But fundamentally, there is a thesis to, to me, it blows me away that no one has a thesis built into their investment mindset. Right, right. right. So my thesis is, and I had this pre-COVID and it's paid off ridiculously well was my my belief is remote work will become the primary way to work over the next 10 years right and this was me saying this 2018 so i believe that by 2030 the majority of work will be done remotely right if you believe in that thesis then you should begin to invest inside of remote infrastructure now when it's underpriced because in 10 years that's going to be really huge um, we just didn't know that they were going to move five years in two months. And, you know, the valuations on all those companies that I've invested in has just gone through the roof. So to me, um, Andy, who is from think three and he runs, um, some of his interesting acquisitions have been Sococo, um, crossover. Um, the, the funny thing with crossover is he was one of the largest customers on Upwork and, Upwork raised his prices. So he just said, well, I'm going to build my own platform. Which
0: just <laughs> yeah, over. Thanks for the push over the edge.
1: Yeah. So then he did that and um, recognized it didn't work super well as a direct hiring platform. But what he ended up doing was he uses that platform for all of the companies that he buys. So he'll buy a company at a particular valuation that he knows he can make the money back in inside of one year. And then the first thing that he does is he says, everyone's going remote inside of the organization. And we'll, we'll help you go remote. If you don't want to go remote, you don't have to work for us. You can work for somebody else. But then he augment that with Crossover because he has these huge this huge database of employees. I think he has, has about 8,000 people that are currently hired, hired on his platform. And the majority are hired through his portfolio. And then he just manages that portfolio. And he recognizes the only thing that he's doing is he's literally just taking an on-premise company and moving it remote first. And by doing that, he increases profit by profitability by 60% on average, right? That's a model that I can get behind. Again, his model will cease to be an advantage once the Facebooks and the Googles are that get oh, into worth this entire of money, that, So, <laughs> Right, there's gonna be a lot of competition for that talent. But fundamentally, you just sort of see that as I mean, he basically took what we were doing individually with our individual companies and he, he thought about that as an entire business model for M&A, which I think is genius. And anyone else that's investing right now, like invest on a thesis for crying out loud. Um, it, it just blows me away how many people would just be like, oh, well, yeah, I'm buying tech. Okay, wh- what are you buying in tech, right? Are you buying SaaS in tech are yeah, you buying... Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's just like become a really good expert at a particular thing and then invest in that. I don't invest in anything that is not remote first tools. What what because industry I know that.
0: What industries, Liam, do you see that are like on the spec? You probably have a spectrum of totally remote and it's gonna ex- accelerate. Obviously, you got tech on that. So and then you got essential workers, hospitality, retail, manufacturing. Like wh- how like in the different industries, what do you see? is possibilities of how fast this happens or how remote they can get? I mean, is is there... Well,
1: I'll tell you right now, I mean, like, you know, accounting, even five years ago, was probably 50% remote. Um, there's a interesting article that came out of MIT Technology Review. They're now staying 98.7% of all accounting is remote. Right? It's just like...
0: It's oh, just, what it's attorney, like Think about accountants and attorneys who literally bill by the hour. Like... Right. Why are you no, in it, the it, car and it, sitting in so, traffic? <laughs> like,
1: yeah, I mean, like when you look at that model, even inside of that, anyone that was very smart that's listening to this right now, you might want to build a project management system specifically for accountants <laughs> that are remote, right? Like think about the, like that's a niche that's probably a hundred million ARR type of space right now that you could get into that's small enough to build a really cool company, but there's going to be all of these sort of you're like right now payroll for remote work doesn't really exist. The biggest in company in the industry right now is a company called remote.com. <clears throat> they just raised I think 15 million um, like last month and they're going to become the workday for remote work, which is which is a very interesting problem that no one really thinks about. Large corporations, one of their one of their biggest barriers towards remote work is if someone ends up becoming a digital nomad, you they countries are suing the corporation for payroll taxes because they'll spend more than six months in that country. And it's, it's an insane concept, right? right? It's like, I consume no services, right? All I'm doing is I'm bringing my hundred thousand dollars salary to this country and I'm investing in your economy. And yet I want my $35,000 in payroll taxes from that particular <laughs> country, right? So that that's an interesting problem at all. But there, there are these companies like Remote.com which just provides that infrastructure. What so saying, like, like, we're the employer of record.
0: I was just thinking about that. even like, like, the one thing that I thought about almost immediately that is like, to have all these millions of people at home and they have literally no firewall or antivirus or like the amount of threats that these people have at
1: home to me. Make- Nord is one of our best sponsors for running remote. So Nord VPN, uh, which I use, I've been using it for five years. I'm currently using it right now. Um, that's a big one. Another thing that people don't really recognize, which has been an interest, there's a couple of companies doing it right now, is your desk, your your mouse, your external monitor, do you want to be able to buy that $8,000 worth of stuff for that particular worker? Or would you rather, and you've got to basically discount that over the next five years, would you rather pay a service that takes a 10% margin and just make sure that all of that stuff ends up in the worker's office, right? Um, There's a ton of companies that are doing that right now. And those companies, especially in the Fortune 500 world, they're just going nuts because they're realizing Well, it's totally worth us to pay that extra 10% margin because we can discount that each year, right? Effectively, right?
0: I would even remodeling homes, Liam. I mean, like, my wife is literally, if you look, she's two doors down and she's in our spare bedroom with this shitty desk and like some monitors from the company we sold six years ago. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, you're not going back literally anytime soon. You should probably. Like, sp- oh, yeah, spruce up all this
1: stuff. I, I think you're probably going to see the cost, or well, I think you're going to see the square footage of homes expand. Um, I know for us, we're looking to do a move right now into a new place in Montreal. And specifically, I'm looking for a, a, a separate wing that I can lock down and just say, I'm at work, work, as opposed to having an office mm-hmm. um, so that I can just lock it down. I've got a bathroom in there. I've got a little kitchenette. Like it's in essence a spare office, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that this is something else that's really going to happen, particularly in the Midwest, where you have that square footage and your cost of square footage is going to be significantly lower. And even more excitedly, um, doing it in places like Bali, where you can get a six-bedroom villa for 150 grand with a pool, right? Um, That has fiber that comes to it. So this is something that I just. At least for me, the writing on the wall is pretty clear that we're going to have a massive shift in the way that we accomplish work. I actually, and I'm possibly going to take this back later, but my theory is is that I think this has been the biggest shift towards work since the industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, at least in terms of speed, We've never been able to move five percent of workers to fifty eight percent of workers in under ninety days to a completely different model that probably the majority of them will never go back to that previous model. Isn't that, so I, I think
0: about the, the investments in all like, it, cause like people are like, Oh, commercial real estate. is fine. I'm like, wait till leases start coming up. I mean, I think it's yes. going to take 18 months for all this stuff to work its way through the system before we start to see some sort of normalcy.
1: Well, and I can tell you for sure, 22% of people that are recently remote surveyed for us said they have canceled their lease. And just because they've canceled their lease does not necessarily mean that that lease is not still getting paid right. because they totally. may have to pay it out for the next. Six, the cash flow is still months.
0: going, but it doesn't mean like it doesn't it hasn't trailed off. You
1: can't get out of that contract obviously nope. because no one can get out of those contracts. But fundamentally, that's happening. And if you are in the office lease industry right now, mm. get the hell out before it really starts to hit.
0: Okay, so I know you're short of time here. So a couple questions. One is if coming from you know two perspectives from for the listeners one is if if you're new to this and you're a business owner and you're because uh, there's paralyzed or I'm excited growth mode like for the paralyzed person who's trying to go okay I get it Liam like I, I, I you don't have to explain it to me anymore I get it you know how do you how do you start to process this like what how do you get one foot in front of the other to make sure that you're 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 heading the right direction
1: back in grad school my um, supervisor who used to work he worked for the UN um, in the on the refugee board and he had this golden rule with regards to any type of serious natural disaster war all that kind of stuff as applies to immigrants refugees the people that move live the people that stay put die you need to move whatever your business is i was talking to someone yesterday that books corporate travel they're down 95 percent, right like they're melted as a company Stop trying to make corporate travel work. Start figuring out, hey, I have six months of cash flow, and I have a team. What can I do to be able to move myself into another market that might be a lot more um, you know, profitable yeah. fundamentally? That's what you've got to do. You've got to move. You've got to adapt. And the beauty of situations like this, whenever you're in such a massive economic correction, the people that make it through these economic corrections almost all the time end up dominating the next 10 years of the You're economy. So, so yep. you've got to think about that. It's going to be hard for right now. I understand. I, I lived through 2008. I had three jobs lined up and then they all disappeared before um, I could get into the workforce. And right around that time, you started a time doctor, right? So there you that's go. That's it. And that's exactly it. So you've got to really move and it's going to be really hard the next year, maybe two years. But after that, if you can make it through, it's going to be amazing.
0: So uh, last question is, what does the word intentional mean for you?
1: Oof. I mean, it means, it means just from a definitional perspective, taking action for me and specifically moving in a direction that I want to be able to move in. And I kind of almost moved from a, per- from a dictionary definition to my personal definition. <laughs> it's moving in a direction in which I am um, trying to change reality. So whenever I think about intentional movement, I think about what is the reality right now? What do I believe reality will be in the future? And then how can I move to that next point to be able to hopefully kind of put a little bit of a dent in the universe That's... to get society the way that I want to see it?
0: I love it. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you and learn more?
1: uh youtube.com slash running remote is where not only i put up weekly videos but we have all of our talks up for free from all of our previous running remote. so if you can't afford a ticket to go to the conference go check that out and outside of that i mean just you want to check out time doctor go check out that um and either of those places if you just scream my name to any customer support rep i shall appear <laughs>
0: Uh, Liam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, good luck managing the new one. And uh, thank you so much. I, I've, I had a blast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If there's anything that you took away from it, I hope you have realized that the times are changing. But there's a lot of things that you can do about it. There's a lot of things that you can do intentionally to utilize and leverage the remote working, create a hybrid environment, hold people accountable, enjoy it as well as grow value in the process. I think there's a lot of a lot of silver linings and positive things that we can take away from this. If you want to check out our intentional growth assessment, go on to arcona.io, take the 20-question multiple-choice assessment. It'll spit out a score and let you know how intentional you're being with your growth and what opportunities you have to learn how to grow the value of your company with the end in mind. Thanks for tuning in, and I will talk to you next week.